Welcome to the Hui, Māori Current Affairs for all New Zealanders. COVID brought the $1 billion Māori tourism industry to its knees. To lose everything like that, it has broken a lot of people. Cultural tourism, the biggest loser. It's kind of like being in a really long tangi. A lot of sadness, there's a lot of loss. With the border set to open, we look at the battle to save the industry. Then we speak to Oranga Tamariki and Māori Crown Relations Minister Calvin Davis. And we meet the Māori artist rolling out his mahi across the Bay of Plenty. My skate park projects, they're always coming from a place of Teo Māori. Um, they always champion the corridor of the local areas. I'm Orini Kaipara, filling in for my tuākana, Mihingarangi Forbes. Nō rangi tonu, from today, Aotearoa is welcoming Manuhiri back to our shores. It's been a long and anxious 26 months for our COVID-crippled tourism industry. So, what does the border opening mean for cultural tourism operators who've managed to keep their heads above water? I haere atua Ruani Pereira ki te waiariki, ki te kōrero ki wetahi o ngā pakihitāpoi Māori ore. We'd worked seven years, 18 hours a day, seven days a week, put our heart and souls and blood, sweat and tears into our place. COVID struck in and we were brought to our knees overnight. From 11.59pm tonight, we will close our border to any non-residents and citizens. This will stop tourists from coming to and entering into New Zealand. To lose everything like that, it has broken a lot of people. The COVID pandemic dealt our Māori tourism operators a devastating blow. We originally thought it would be a couple of weeks or a couple of months or three months at the most. It's kind of like being in a really long tangi. A lot of sadness, there's a lot of loss. Nadine and Carl Toitoi own Kohutapu Lodge and Tribal Tours, an authentic contemporary cultural experience on the outskirts of Murupara in the Bay of Plenty. The award-winning accommodation sits on Carl's Whenua in Ngāti Manawa country, a landlocked iwi that knows how to survive when resources are scarce. Some people in the tribe were able to survive in areas where the resources were rich, so there was plentiful kai water, and in other parts of the rohe wasn't so great. So at a certain time of the year, the chief of the tribe would ask everybody to uproot and rotate around, so those who had it good would then have it not so good, and the, the iwi would learn to share an afi and, and survive together. And the couple have had to draw on that strength over the past two years. The downturn in tourists stripped 95% of their business overnight. It's hard to explain in words how we have survived and what motivated us to carry on. 
This is not just a place of business for us. We live on site, this is our home, this is our whenua. Our place and our people are beautiful and tourists will pay to come here and experience what we have to offer because we are enough. And yeah, it's, um, you don't just give up on that. Kohutapu had enough to stay afloat with the help of a half a million dollars from the government's Strategic Tourism Asset Protection Programme and a low-interest five-year loan. It saved our lives. It saved the life of this business. If it weren't for the step funding, we absolutely would not be here without a shadow of a doubt. An hour's drive from Kohutapu is one of Rotorua's top tourist attractions, Tamaki Māori Village. The past two years have been the toughest in Tamaki's 30-year history. They too received STAP funding, which has allowed them to retain most of their 110 kaimahi. And they've kept busy, with no tourists to feed, they've been using their kitchen to make school lunches for local charity Kapai Kai. So that was a really cool avenue where we, you know, we're good at food and beverage, we're good at, at doing that kind of work, so it's, it's a natural um, alignment really in many ways. Kitty Atkinson Crean is the head of tourism for Tohara North Trust, who own the village. For all of the hardship that COVID has brought with it, it's also been an opportunity for the Māori tourism industry to look inward and start interrogating ourselves about, okay, so here we are, what do we do? Before COVID, the village's concerts and feasts were enjoyed by around 100,000 manuhiri a year. Having 150 people in the Farinui for a cultural performance isn't going to really work, is it? It's not going to fly, no. So we've built an amphitheatre that's set within the forest and people can stay with nature throughout the whole experience, really. And there's seating for 80. We don't intend to go over that number. They're coming up with new ways of doing things in a post-COVID world and adapting to the times. We have re-engineered a visitor experience which we think better aligns with our values. It will pay our people more. It will honour the stories of our ancestors in a much stronger way. Jameis Webster is the village's cultural and performance manager and helped develop their new programme that's set to launch for Matariki in June. We just have to adapt. Our tūpuna adapted to the times, you know, during the migration and coming down to from Hawaii to Aotearoa, and that's what we have to do at these current times. Nice, brother. Keep going, keep going. They're cranking up their marketing campaign and getting ready to attract not just overseas visitors, but local ones too. Yeah, that's, that's me. Switching our way of thinking as well to more attract our local domestic market so that they can understand and relearn what actually is happening in their own backyard, especially with the introduction of Māori history, New Zealand history that have been injected into the new education system. It's the domestic market that's been keeping things ticking over at Kohutapu too. Yeah, it's just lovely to have people out here and to be able to extend our manaki to our own people. And we work just as hard, if not harder, for our own to pay back the thanks of them supporting us during these times. 
despite not operating at full capacity, they've managed to keep their workers that needed the income. And it's our staff who have been with us for the last two years, who have seen the ups and downs and, and are still here with us. You know, we've got a responsibility to ensure they still got a job and can put kai on the table for their whānau too. Irina Cecilia Wairaki Anderson is a tour guide at Kohutapu. While her job description has changed since the pandemic, she's grateful to have been kept on the payroll. I got repositioned in many different roles. Being the cleaner, admin, check-ins, yes. um, bar, kitchen. I went from putting on makeup to putting on gumboots. <laughs> <laughs> it's just good having work in your own backyard. Taz Takiro has just moved back to his rohe and begun training as a guide for the lodges Firinaki Forest Tours and Te Uruera programme. This place has given me an opportunity to do what I love doing. And with the influx of, hopefully, the influx of tourism coming through, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to share what, you know, share our tāone and what we have in our backyard. New Zealand Māori tourism say they're in contact with around 450 Māori tourism businesses, but say the sector is much larger. In 2018, it added almost $1 billion to New Zealand's economy, including 25,000 jobs. Getting back to that revenue and finding staff posed the biggest challenges to the industry's future. Over the last two years, our people have had to go out and find other jobs and, and work in other industries, and they realise that they can finish at five o'clock and have their weekends back, and, and so it's going to be really, really difficult to entice people back into the tourism industry. It's also a chance for the industry to recognise the value of cultural tourism and those employed in it. We have an opportunity now to think about what we would like to go back into the world with. And I think it's a chance to reposition Māori um, within the tourism industry. There is a real opportunity to educate the New Zealand market around what cultural products are now out there. And yeah, it's not necessarily all hangi concert or marae-based product. Our industry and our cultural products have evolved over time and there's a lot more out there. After more than two years in the wilderness, those in Māori tourism are standing by, ready to welcome back Manuhiri. It's a gentle open, it'll be, it'll be soft this summer, but there'll be people. We're all just so excited at the opportunity to roll out that manaki better than before. We're psyched up, we're ready to go, we'll dig deep. Our facilities definitely are not five star. We don't have 500 thread count on our bunk beds, but I'll tell you what, the feeling you get and the feeling our people and our community and our staff give our visitors, that's five star. Kia kaha tonu koutou. Nā Ruwani Pereira te rāpūrongo. Hei muri i ngā whakatairanga, ka kōrero atu māua ko te minitamu orangatamariki. Ko Calvin Davis. Aura ki mai anō ki te hui. 
Last week, it was announced Ta Mark Solomon, the former chair of Terunanga Ungaitahu, would take over as the head of Oranga Tamariki's ministerial advisory board. The board was established last year with the aim of reforming the beleaguered organisation. So, eight months on, how is the agency tracking? Hey, Matapakiake, Tenei Take, Kwatai Mainei, Kote Minita Mo Oranga Tamariki, Koke Calvin Davis Tera. Tena koe e te Minita. Morena, Orini. Morena. Tena koe o mai. Tell us, what does Sir Mark Solomon bring to this role? Well, he's got a wealth of experience, hasn't he, in, uh, in governance and leadership. But uh, the big thing is about what the Ministerial Advisory Board uh, did, the report they presented to Kahu Aroha. It's drawn a line under what Oranga Tamariki was, and it enabled the uh, formation of a future direction plan which describes the organisation that Oranga Tamariki will be. Now, a lot of work has gone on uh, in the, those previous eight months. We've had a clean-out at the top. We've got a Māori now who is the CE of Oranga Tamariki. The first time I think a Māori has actually been uh, the lead of any mainstream organisation in, in government, uh, you know, aside from Te Punikokri and Te Arawhiti. So uh, the leadership team is uh, half Māori now, uh, they're working on the framework that is going to uh, see the transfer of resources and de decision-making to our communities. Uh, there are four communities that have been identified as uh, pilots. Uh, Tainui is one, Kahunungu and Ngaitahu. Uh, the, even the ombudsman has had something positive to say. Now, you know, he, that's almost unheard of, um, but I've got to give it to the ombudsman. He certainly knows how to, uh, to pull us up or pull Oranga Tamariki up when things have done, gone wrong. But he's also um, saying, well, there's some things that are going right now and they need to be acknowledged for it. I suppose the question is, Minister, it's been eight months since. You know, is that enough? Is enough being done at the moment? You know, can you give us any other indicators or outcomes? Because eight months ago you did say that, you know, this board would put the decision-making power back into the hands of the community. So what other indicators or outcomes are there to show that that's happening? Yeah, well, look, this isn't an overnight process. The Future Direction Plan is a three- to five-year plan, but we are laying the foundations. Uh, if you look, there's $26 million has gone to Ngaitahu for their whānau's first as navigators uh, to prevent children going into Oranga Tama Care. Uh, there's uh, Ngākahu uh, Oranga Whānau in, in Tehuku, where I'm from, where they're taking over many of the roles that Oranga Tamariki would have played. Um, so th there is a lot happening. Like I say, those four uh, areas in the pilot uh, where, we're, where we're transferring the d resources and decision-making to those communities. Okay. You know, that's a big thing. So when, when that pilot's rolled out, then we'll see it spread out uh, across the time, country. Time, time well, I was talking to uh, Chappie Takani, our CE, yesterday, and he was saying in the next three months we should really see things starting to ramp up. So we'll get those pilots out of the way, but I really want to so push the... time we should start seeing uh, ngā hua o e but we should we should start seeing the, the ngahua or wera whakatau. But, you know, like I say, it's not an overnight uh, process. We're, this is a three- to five-year plan. I hope, my personal hope is to drive it for three years rather than five years, but we also just have to see um, how things are going. But there have been a number of changes, and we'll continue to see those changes occurring. All right, Minister, Section 78, it's a big topic right now. You've said uplift should only be used as the very last resort. Is that what you're seeing on the ground right now? 
Well, there have, has been a 75% reduction in uplift since uh, since this government has been in. And even in the last year, I think there's been a 20% reduction in Section 78 uplifts. There are always going to be some whānau, some tomariki, uh, who's, you know, where the decision needs to be made to uplift. But what we're saying is that the community, the iwi, the kaupapa Māori mm. providers are the ones, they will exhaust every avenue, and then if uh, an uplift needs to be triggered, well then Oranga Tamariki will be involved at that stage. But, but look, even then, most uh, uplifts in the, in the last four, sorry, the four months since I made that announcement, there were 12 uplifts, and the majority of those children stayed with whānau or with their parents. Okay. So well, things have been diff done differently, and that's what I said we'd do. I just want to say, the last time you appeared on the Hui in October last year, uh, at that time, in that month, 32 tamariki children were uplifted. Fast forward eight months, well, actually in December there were 55. In March this year, 34 more tamariki were uplifted. Are you disappointed with that? That's, you know, that's a lot of tamariki. Well, like I said, there's been a 75% reduction over the last few years, and 20% reduction in, in the last 12 months. In December, we've got to realise that that is a month where a lot of whānau are under pressure, under strain, financial pressure, and so it's. And I see it in corrections yeah. as well that there are, is there's a lot of behaviour that we wouldn't want to see. You touched but, based on, you know, some tamariki are uplifted with notice or without notice. The with notice is amongst whānau, so the whānau having hui, the hapu, iwi, NGOs and oranga tamariki. But of those 34 uplifts last month, 21 were without notice. That means that oranga tamariki uh, went ahead and uplifted those tamariki without talking to all those groups that you've listed that we've just mentioned. You know, how can whānau trust what you say when the evidence is contrary. Yeah, no, that, that's not quite accurate. There, there's still a lot of discussion going on um, with uh, Kaupapa Māori organisations and, and community providers. But like I say, there's still... 21, though, without notice, Minister. You said last time you were on the hui, so, on the hui, you said that would stop. Clearly it hasn't. No, I said we would do things differently, and we are doing things differently by engaging with the community providers, the Kaupapa Māori providers. Sadly, there are still some whānau where the, the children are at risk, but we are doing doing things differently, and that's what I promised we'd do. All right, um, let's talk about ram raids. It's been quite a, a prominent issue across the media um, in the last couple of weeks. Um, Oranga Tamariki's Youth Director Ben uh, Hannafin says while youth crime has been on the decline, there has been a spike. All of these young people aren't dealt with by Oranga Tamariki. Uh, Oranga Tamariki says 90% have learning disabilities. They come from challenging environments, parents involved in the justice system, drugs and alcohol. Many of them are known to police and Oranga Tamariki. Minister, is this intergenerational or is it generational? So we need to look at the whole context. Over the last decade, youth crime has reduced by over 60%. So we're seeing, you know, this, that's a significant reduction. This is a spike. It's not a trend. Uh, there's a number of factors at play. Um, a, a very small percentage are known, of these tamariki are known to Oranga Tamariki. Um, but this is also a community thing. You know, I, I was in uh, the Hokianga last week and, you know, people were saying we were concerned about the, um, the youth crime but they raised that old kaupapa it takes a community to raise a child and they realised that this isn't just something that police can deal with, it's not something that only Oranga Tamariki can deal with, but communities also need to uh, look at the solutions. In December last year, 5,000 tamariki uh, were noted as being in the care of Oranga Tamariki. Have they been failed by the system? 
Well, no, and that's a reduction. I think there's fewer than 5,000 now. It's yeah. a, there's been a significant reduction in the numbers of children entering Oranga Tamariki care. Um, you know, there's still some... 67% for Māori. That, that number's increased, actually, for Māori, specifically. Yeah, and, and absolutely. The, this is the, you know, the legacy that we're trying to turn around because when we place uh, decision-making and resources into the into the hands of communities. And again, in, in my hui, or one of my hui in the Hokianga last week, I was at a marae where three marae were represented. They said, we had a visit from Oranga Tamariki onto our, uh, one of our marais in Firinaki there, and they said, we really like the direction because they're talking about communities taking control, getting the resources. Whereas previously promises had been made where communities would uh, be able to make decisions, but the resources didn't follow. I'm adamant that the resources will follow, and it's about how do we help the likes of the South Hokianga, where the nearest um, sort of provider is 40 kilometres away in Kaikohe, how do we actually help those communities, those hapu, um, you know, alleviate the, the issues that they're seeing in the South Hokianga there? Tēnā koe, tēnā koe, te minita, kua thank you very much for joining us on the hui today. Ai, kia ora, tēnā koe. Akua ki nei katsu taki atu tātou ki tētahi o ngā ringarehe o te ao toi, nō reira, kia mautonu mai. His work has been compared to neo-expressionist Jean-Michel Basquiat. The work of Tūhoi, Ngāti Pūkeko and Ngāpuhi artist Te Marunui Hōtene is bold, vibrant and ātāhua beautiful. And most importantly, it's accessible to his hapori, his community. Te Marunui is making his mark not only on Te Aotoi, the art world, but also on his own rohe. Kea John Boynton te roa ngāke o ngā kōrero. Marunui Hōtene knows it's tricky manoeuvring through the world as an artist. I've always been an outcast, not feeling like you're Māori enough, not feeling like you're Pākehā enough because you're pōhara, and then going to art galleries and you're not wearing shoes. But it hasn't stopped him from designing one-of-a-kind and uniquely Māori skate parts. So I guess I kind of embraced being the outcast and used it as my strength as an artist. The Hōtene Fano moved home from Tāmaki Makoto to the eastern Bay of Plenty when Te Marunui was still a child. He quickly became immersed in his tūhoi roots, attending school at Te Kura Oruatoki. I was lucky to get to be exposed to the richness of our tūhoi tana, really, and that instilled a strong sense of pride. You know, tōku ora tōku tūhoi tana. Um, I was happy, proud where I came from. It was here he'd first develop his artistic flair. At Ruatoki, I was always drawing, so I always knew I had a passion for drawing. But my dad's always had a real artistic background with his graffiti, bomb squad and mangere days. 
Yeah, did a bit of that, bit of all sorts, carving, drawings. But it would be Te Marunui's formative years in Ruatoki which would leave a lasting impact. Witnessing events like the Urupatsu land claim demonstrations in 2005. It was really powerful, especially when you see the demonstration and the cars lit on fire and all the bodies drawn out on the road and you're driving to Kura and you see that and you're in that. They all had that manamotsuhake attitude. It really was something that influenced me. And felt the devastating impacts of the 2007 police raids of Ruatoki on the Tsuhoi people. You know, as a young person being exposed to this type of political climate, you know, it was uh, real informative. You really felt the disconnect it was us and them. Tame Itsi playing a central figure in these Tuhoi events, his activism and art inspiring Te Marunui. So I was quite fortunate to get to work with Boro Tame Itsi in the Taneatu Gallery. It was really powerful for me to see a Tuhoi artist success. He'd eventually follow Tame Itsi into the art world, a path his dad knew would be difficult. He wanted me to play rugby, you know, all these things that I just, I knew I wasn't about. Might be the toxic masculinity, but I just wasn't about that. You know, I'm like, I'm a painter, I'm an artist. You know, so it was hard. It was hard going against, you know, people you love. Yeah, I just wanted him to be a carpenter, play rugby, <laughs> yeah, get a job. That's all I wanted him to be, but yeah. But Maru's decision paid off, earning his Master of Arts from Wintech and launching his art career. His artwork is colourful, bold and grounded in te ao Māori. It's featured in art exhibitions, public art spaces and recently a fashion collaboration with Māori designer Adrian Whitewood. And my artwork was real expressive, real colourful, real energyful to try and communicate these ideas of culture loss, of being ashamed of who you are, being proud of who you are, going to reclaim who you are. Part of reclaiming his identity was returning home to the Bay of Plenty. One of his early public artworks is here at the Taneatua Skate Park, telling the story of the Tsipuna Taneatua and his pack of kuri. My skate park projects, they're always coming from a place of Del Māori. Um, they always champion um, the corridor of the local areas. This year, Maru had another chance to stamp his mark on a local skate park, this time one he grew up skateboarding on as a teenager. Spending so much time in these spaces, you really start to become a part of the space, eh? And it was just me just expressing my creativity. When the Fakatani skate park required a much-needed makeover, Maru knew there was a story to tell. I've always known it was a tanifa, and in recent years it was just going unloved. It was in desperate need of restoration, cracks and holes and things. And, and so I put a proposal together uh, for the Fakatani Council, saying, um, I'd love to paint the park. Here's my idea, I want to repaint the tanifa. With the help of other artists, friends and whanau, the project quickly came to life. So we brought out the facial features with the eyes, the nose, the tongue and the mouth. Because my work is normally like real expressive and full of energy and lots of mark making, uh, but we had to kind of calm it down. And then once everyone else saw the painting and everyone was stoked and it's gotten right across the country and yeah, just happy man. 
Te Marunui hopes projects like this can rejuvenate public spaces in his rohe and around Aotearoa. You know, maybe reflecting our stories of our tipuna of this era will help a little bit. You know, there's a lot of Pākehā who are ignorant to that still. You know, Whakatāne is still a racist town, which is sad to say, but I love it here. I love the people here too. And I want to see a street art festival happen here, where we get internationally acclaimed artists like Mr G, who only lives in Tauranga, to come and do an amazing mural. And with ideas like this in the pipeline, Te Marunui hopes to inspire the next generation of creatives. I got heaps of projects still to go, working on a skate tour with some of our local ranatahi. So like, I'm just looking forward to those next projects. Awesome. Nā John Boynton, tērā pūrongo. Kua eke ki te wai, wai hapete nei manu ki tōna rongohua. Thank you all for joining us. Noho ora mai. Te puna whakatongarewa te hui i tautoko.